Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Actually, I'm going to call an audible. Romans 12. Turn to Romans 12. We'll start there. I wasn't going to, but then I realized, all right, this is actually the best place for us to start. Romans chapter 12. And we are continuing this series. Did not expect that to be so close to me. We are, I just almost tripped over the microphone. We are continuing a series that we are now in week three of asking the question, uh, who are you? Uh, what is your kingdom identity? Well, what, do you, what do you find out about yourself when we look into the mirror that is God's Word? And it's not always easy to find out our identity, and sometimes it is fantastic to find out who we really are. Uh, I've worked at several colleges, I've mentioned different times, and uh, I'd always say that the people change, the names and faces change at a college, but everyone's kind of the same. Like the same personalities, like, oh, there's the loud guy, and, and there's the funny guy, and there's the guy that thinks he's funny, and, there's, and you kind of get the same thing, and almost every year, the freshmen show up on campus, and I, uh, you just notice, and you could just pick it out. Now, three of the colleges I worked at were Bible colleges, so this doesn't apply to all. But you'd say, oh, that right there, this freshman couple, first week on campus, they were the two best-looking people in their youth group, and so they're dating. One of them is about to find out they're out of their league. All of a sudden, they're going to get to the college campus, and the one person is going to be like, wait, there's other options? and I'm in that league, and I'm with you. So I'd say, yeah, that couple's gonna break up in about a week. And sure enough, what is that point? What is the point I'm trying to make? Sometimes finding out what you really are is great. Sometimes it's terrible. Sometimes it's no fun to find out that you're not in the same league or to find out who you really are. And so when we come to the Word of God and we look into this this mirror of who we are, and we start to ask tough questions. Uh, for instance, when you want to know what you really find important, you look where you spend your time, and we talked about that last week. This week, we are going to talk about finding out who you really are, finding out how important the kingdom of God is to you when you evaluate your money. I was really expecting when I said that for another line of people to line up next to the door and walk out like Hope Kids, so thank you for staying. But also we can find out who we truly are when we stop and we start to recognize how God specifically in his unbelievably intimate love designed you as a human being and designed you as a, a person, as a creation that was made in his image to reflect his glory. And he knows how he's designed you. He's known the talents and gifts and abilities that you specifically have. He knows the experiences that you have gone through. He knows the experiences that you're going to go through. And he knows how each and every one of them, even though sometimes it is so difficult to think through and sometimes it is so wonderful to think through, but all of those things he designed specifically for you to demonstrate his power and just how powerful he is when he uses a weak vessel like you or like myself for his glory. And so when we come to a passage like Romans 12, 1 and 2, and again, I don't have a slide for it because I wasn't planning on being here originally, when we come to this passage and, and Paul writes, he says, therefore, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, that brothers and sisters part is meaning those who have made Jesus the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life, this brothers and sisters in Christ who are united and bonded because of the love of Christ and because of the blood of Christ that was shed for you and for me, and we've come to that awareness and we have forgiveness of our sins. And so if you call yourself a believer, if you understand what that means, that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by faith, then he's talking to you. And he says, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is, everything that makes you, you. Whatever it is that is involved in who you are, this is all inclusive for all of those things. A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. There's that word holy again. We've been going over it in 1 Peter 1.16. Be holy, for I am holy holy. So the command is now that you have accepted Christ, you are to be, that word holy, set apart for a special purpose, that you are set apart for a special purpose, which is to be pleasing to God. And then this is your true and proper worship. In other words, in our modern day English, this would say, because it's common sense. Because God in his infinite mercy has done all of these things for you, who he loves intimately, who has sent his own perfect son to shed his blood for you. He loves you so infinitely more than we can ever think and imagine here on this earth. It is just common sense that everything that makes us, us, everything that makes us as individuals should be offered back to him in how we live says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, we talked about last week. Again, you have been set apart for a special purpose, therefore our lives should look different than those who do not know God. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word conform is what happens outside and what it turns you into. The word transform is what happens inside and goes out to the world around you. So he's saying don't be conformed. Don't let this world uh, come and conform you to its image. Going back to the first Peter passage, live as a foreigner. In other words, you're gonna stand out. When you live for this purpose, when you're allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your heart, it's going to look differently as it goes out, as you live as a foreigner in this world, because that transformation which comes through God's Word, through the Holy Spirit, and through our dedication to Him, it's going to change how you think. And then it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, like we said last week, it's not that we need a better app to track how we spend our time, it's that we need a heart realignment in what we do with our time. And this week is similar. It's not that we need a better budget, it's not that we need a better money app, it's not that we need this, it's that we need a heart realignment to align ourselves with the heart of God. So, how do we pursue holiness in our resources? When I say resources, this includes what we own, what we have access to, and included, but not limited to, our money. Now, I've been mentioning as we've gone through the series that as human beings, we have this unbelievable inner self-defense lawyer. And what they really spent a lot of time perfecting was justifying ourselves. 
We can come up with the most amazing excuses, and to me, there is nothing more amazing when we excuse away and justify than this area of money. So I'm speaking from experience. Um, most of us would say that we do not believe in the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is that because you know God, you deserve the very best. And if you really, truly trust God, he's going to make you rich. He's going to get you that boat. He's going to get you the biggest house. All you have to do is trust God more. And as gospel-believing Christians who study the scripture, we like, that is not true. Look at these apostles being killed and murdered. Look at all the people who have given their life, who've demonstrated more faith than I have ever demonstrated in my life combined, and they've done it in one day, and it cost them their life. No, I deserve everything because I'm an American. It has nothing to do with my faith. It's just my citizenship. I'm sorry. I deserve a bigger house and a better car. If not, why would God keep allowing these credit card companies to send me the applications? That's why I deserve everything good. It has nothing to do with my faith. Or when we think about this area of money, I'm going to do a one-man play for you. I'm going to play the role of both Ed and Ted in community group. Ready? Hey, Ted, I know you've been struggling in your marriage. I don't know what is making that noise. Am I away from the speakers? Anyways, Ted, I know you've been struggling in your marriage. How's that going? Not good. I'm so glad we have this accountability time in our community group where I can ask you these deep personal questions. So am I, because I'm really struggling. Is it the lust that's getting you? It is, and I messed up bad this week. I'm glad you're being honest with me. That's really important for good accountability. What did you make last year? Back off, pal! <laughs> no, really, like, just, you know, asking a simple question, like, you know, God wants all of our hearts, so, like, what did you give to church last year? Who do you think you are asking me that kind of a question? in this kind of a church setting. How dare you, sir? Well, I mean, we talked about God wants all of our life, like our thought life, but he also wants like our resources. Are we willing? That's it. All this church talks about is money. I am out of here. <laughs> when we stop and think, <laughs> thank you, thank you. When we stop and think about what we are held accountable to, the parts of our life that we are so willing to open up to others and say, I am so struggling in this area of sexual immorality. I'm so struggling in this area of my thought life. I'm so struggling in this area. The thought of somebody asking us about our finances is not what we are okay with. Well, you know, just, just out of curiosity, what was the percentage that you gave, you know, last year. That is none of your business. Now, nothing is tracked more than money, right? The government knows where your money goes and how much you made and where it went. 
you get receipts. Your money is being tracked for you. It is the easiest thing to know where you spent it. But that has no place to be talked about in front of a holy God. Or, and I think this is uh, quite common, I know, in my life, uh, God gets our leftovers. Uh, we're not going to spend time in Malachi, but um, in Malachi it talks about God is calling out, saying, you are accepting unacceptable sacrifices. You're giving the weak, you're giving the lame, you're giving the spotted. You have literally made sure that you have the best and then what was left over you're giving to God and he's calling them out because that's where their heart truly is. So I thought I would start off just by giving you some interesting notes about why we're talking about this. Some interesting notes regarding Jesus and money and why it's so important to discuss these things. Ready. Number one. The Bible has 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 verses on faith, but over 2,000 verses dealing with money and possessions. Number two, the book of Proverbs alone is filled with instructions about money. I want to stop there because we said at the beginning, there's areas of our life, and it's usually the area of our life that we are most trying to excuse away, that this is the phrase that we are trained to say, ready? Well, the Bible isn't very clear on what we should give. The Bible isn't very clear on like what's an acceptable sacrifice. And then we're like, hmm, Jim said it's not clear. I'm not gonna study it. Jim already put in all the hard work. So I'm trying to make this unbelievably clear about how important this is. Number three, it has been said that Jesus talked more about money than any other subject. Of Jesus' 38 parables, 16 deal with money management. Number four, one out of every 10 verses in the Gospels has to do with money or possession, a total of 288 verses. And number five, there is more said in the New Testament about money than about heaven and hell combined. Uh, the person that brought these different stats together. His name is Rod Rogers, and he wrote a book on it. But in it, he says, if God thought it was important to talk to his people about money management and giving, you and I have no right to neglect these parts of his word. So I'm going to ask the same question that we've started last week and just apply it to the area of our finances or resources. And that is, are you pursuing earthly happiness or holiness with your resources? Are you pursuing what's best for you and what's going to make you happy and what's going to make you comfortable? Are you pursuing your own interests? Or are you stopping and pursuing what is going to make you set apart, what is going to make you live like a foreigner in this world? Well, are you pursuing what is going to demonstrate just how important what God wants is? So turn with me now to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and again, this is a passage that uh, we preached through when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. But I want to look again what Jesus is saying here. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's two verses, verse 21 and verse 24, that we're really going to focus on. There's a lot in this passage. Uh, You can go back and listen to the Sermon on the Mount series. We spent some time here. But that passage that we probably know very well, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Uh, When we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, I just realized how powerful the Sermon on the Mount is. Almost everything else you see uh, in Scripture can go back and find its roots here in the Sermon on the Mount. And this area of finances is so true. Where your treasure is, that is what you're passionate about. Where you're spending your money, and I know it in my mind, I immediately think, but this is all the money I have left? Oh, it's not about what's left over. It's about the top priority. It's about what am I actually trying to pursue. It's about what I'm willing to really desire. That's where my money will go. And then verse 24 says, you cannot serve both God and money. Those two verses alone are demonstrating, listen, wherever you're putting your treasure is, wherever you can so easily track where your money goes, it's that easy. That's what you're passionate about. It's not about percentages. It's not about any of those things. It's just simply where your money goes what you are willing to make sacrifices for to spend on this, that's the thing you're passionate about. And just as a reminder, if that's what you're passionate about and the answer isn't God, then you can't serve both. This is truly what you're chasing after, and it's not God. It's not righteousness. It's not holiness. So when we look at where our treasure is, ask the question, what are you truly passionate about? Uh, Which one excites you more when you get it? Like, are you really excited when, this wouldn't happen to me, it would be a guest speaker, but are you really excited when I go over time preaching? Because you're getting more word of God. Or are you really excited when you find a $20 bill that you can spend on yourself? Which one are you, like, passionate about? Like, when you wake up in the morning, and it's too early, and your alarm hasn't gone off, but there's an hour, and you're like, oh my, I feel good. I can spend an extra hour in God's word and prayer today. Or when your boss like, hey, if you work extra on this holiday, I'll give you double pay. You're like, double pay? I can spend that on my favorite thing, me. I'm in. (laughs) What are the things that we pursue? What are the things that we are passionate about? What excites you more when you're able to get it? If you ever ran home and told your spouse, guess what? I gave extra money in the offering. And your spouse is like, yes! We are doing it! Turn with me to Matthew 13. 
Matthew 13, and we're going to read verse 44 through 45 and then talk about them individually. Just, I mean this sincerely, I do not get nervous at all, like standing up in front of people. I get nervous handling the Word of God. It makes me, it's very, a lot of responsibility to it. I've been a nervous wreck for three days knowing um, I was going to be preaching on money, so I'm just being totally honest with you, transparent. Matthew 13, 44 through 45, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. These two verses, and there's a lot to unpack here, as it is with most of what Jesus says. There's a lot of depth to it. So the first verse, verse 44, he's talking about what we'll, we would probably view as a servant, a hired hand, possibly even um, a slave, going culturally with what a slave was then. And he's plowing a field. Now you have to remember, in that part of the world, there was constant warfare. There was constantly a new power that would rise. There were uh, smaller groups, almost like warlords, that were constantly battling each other. Uh, really, when you read through the Bible, you realize there was a constant war of some kind. There was a constant uh, position battle. And so what you would do if you owned land and you had possessions, as soon as you found out uh, what was happening, you're, you don't have a bank, you don't have a safety deposit box, your safety deposit box is called dirt and you own it. And so you take whatever your possessions, your most valuable possessions that you have, and you'd run out into the field in a place where you could remember, and then you would bury those possessions. Now what would happen is, as the attacking enemy came through, and they would need your field, or they would need whatever you'd have, they'd kill you. They'd use up what they, you had, and then they'd leave. And the treasure is still buried. Or the man of the house would bury the treasure, and then he would run out to battle, and he would die having never told anybody where that treasure is. There's a myriad of reasons of what would happen. But then what would happen in this following culture is you're plowing a field, as Jesus is telling this story. Your plow bumps something. You get down, and you look in. Now, this is what the law of the time said specifically. This obviously occurred. If the servant, if the hired hand, whatever it is, pulled the treasure out of what he found, it immediately became his boss's. If he reburied it and did exactly this, that treasure is his. Now, I think of the show, and I actually hate the show, but the show Storage Wars, where they slide open the door and you have to try to figure out what's in there and if it's worth bidding on. That's what the servant is doing here. We don't know how much of what he saw, but whatever he got a glimpse of, whatever it was he saw, he knew that the value of that was so high that he would run and sell everything. He would sell where he slept. He would sell whatever animals he had. He would sell whatever that he owned so that he could have enough money to go back and then tell more than likely his boss or owner, hey, I want to buy this field. And then the owner would give him the price and he would give him the money. Now that treasure legally is his because he never took it out. 
And so what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is so grand, is so beautiful, that even just when we can capture just the tiniest glimpse of it, it is worth everything we own to pursue after. It is worth everything that we are. It is worth everything that we could possibly give up for that reason. The kingdom of God is so powerful that just if we can just wrap our minds around the tiniest glimpse, we will pursue it literally at all costs. Now the second verse, verse 45, is, sounds the same. But here we have a merchant, and he's looking for fine pearls. So this is his job. Like, this is something he's probably trained in. This is something that he has spent years doing. It's a different culture. It's a different social setting as a merchant compared to a servant. So he has access to more than a servant would. And uh, I imagine he's looking, and he's looking for fine pearls. So he's already been in this business. He knows what he's looking for. And whatever it is, he, wherever shop he's at, he sees a pearl that must have a price tag on it that would make most people say, I'll keep walking, thank you. Do you have something in the clearance section? He knows because it's his profession. He knows because he's been trained to spot something like this. He has the same reaction as the servant. He runs and he sells everything. Whatever it is that he has, has access to, owns he sells everything, and he goes back to that store, and he buys this fine pearl. Why? Because he knows that pearl is worth more than everything he owns. It is worth every penny that he has in the bank account to own that pearl. So the application is the same, and uh, some scholars believe that what this is saying is that the religious leaders who are trained in being able to recognize God, the religious leaders who should have a relationship with God, who should know what the Messiah will look like, when they get a glimpse of the Messiah, when they get a glimpse that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they will give up everything that they have been trained to know and fully pursue the kingdom of heaven. So that leaves you and I. When we go back to understanding, when we go back to Romans 12:1, and we see God's mercy and how rich it is and God's grace and everything that he's given, when we look at the gospel of Jesus coming and living this perfect life, the perfect lamb of God who would be brutally murdered and executed so that his blood would be shed for you and for me, and then he would defeat death so that now we can have this hope and we can get a taste of what heaven on earth is is when we see that Jesus can heal, that he can right every wrong, and we have this glimpse, and we have this view, and we've experienced the grace and mercy that only Jesus can give, and then we're like, and how willing are we to give up everything we have? Not well. Not great. I can talk all day about how awesome God is, but let's not forget about what I deserve as an American. Let's not forget about my happiness and my comfort. And you know what helped me really enjoy God? That boat. <laughs> or that fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is your passion. I actually don't have a boat or own a boat or want to own a boat. It's just an easy thing to go to. The question that it boils down to in our lives is what value do you put on pursuing the kingdom of God yourself? On an individual level that only you know. 
what value do you put on the kingdom of God? I think of the rich young ruler, and he comes up to Jesus and he goes, hey, I don't know if you've noticed how awesome I am. My words, not the actual reference. Jesus, have you seen how awesome I am? I have never killed a human being. And, in case you weren't sure how awesome I am, I've also never cheated on my wife. So, (laughs) what else is there for me to do? I must be partakers with you. And Jesus says, oh yeah, one other thing, go and sell everything that you have. And then you can follow me. Go give everything, specifically, go give everything that you have and give it to the poor. Well, wealthy people view the poor as the problem. They don't view themselves as the solution to the poor. So when he says, go and give everything you have to the poor and then you can come follow me, the rich young ruler goes, hey, Jesus, let's go back to the whole me not murdering anybody. That's where I'd really like to focus this conversation around how awesome I am, not am I, uh, what am I willing to give up for you. It says, and the rich young ruler went away sad because he had great wealth. The rich young ruler went away sad because the cost of following Jesus was just, there was a literal price tag on it, and it was out of his price range. So what is your value? What value do you put on the kingdom of God? And again, this is just a big overarching theological viewpoint of how does God view us and our resources. We're going to go a lot more application-based than our next message in a few weeks. But I want to end with a couple quotes and a couple questions. David Platt said that according to Jesus, our money does not just reflect our hearts, our hearts follow our money. One of the most effective ways to fuel affection for God is to give your resources in obedience to God. And the person who wrote what I quoted earlier, Rod Rogers, he said, you will always spend your money on what is most important to you. If your giving to the church of Jesus Christ is poor, it is a clear sign that you're not excited about the things that God takes delight in. And if you truly do take delight in the growth and success of Christ's church, put your money where your heart is. What does your money say about your heart? What does your money say what you are passionate for? What does your money say what you desire for? What are you willing to do? Again, last week we asked the same question. This is a very familiar saying here at Hope Church, and that is, the gospel is always about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. And again, if you're like me, I hated giving my money to church. Hated it. Did not do it. Well into adulthood. I served at the church, and I would serve all the hours I had. I loved serving the church. Uh, It was not, and I'm not bragging about this, I'm pointing out a problem. I would easily give up 30 hours a week on top of working my other job just to serve at church, and I would do whatever was asked. I just really sincerely, after turning my life fully over to Christ at 18 years old, I just wanted, I loved being at the church. I loved being there. And then every Sunday morning, the offering bucket would go by, and I'd say, I gave my time. That money's mine. Give you my time, right? That's the exchange rate with God. 
I'll give you one, but not the other. That's how I'm sacrificing most. God says to sacrifice everything. God says that after all he's done, in view of all he's done, what am I willing to give up? Time, don't take my money. Flip the table. I'm working at an inner city ministry in Indianapolis. My boss one time asked me, he goes, how are you so good at raising money? You raise money. I said, I drive into the wealthiest suburbs, Carmel, Indiana, and I meet different people who might be donating something to us or whatever, and I ask them to come play dodgeball with four- and five-year-old inner-city kids on Tuesday evening. And I kid you not, I would walk away with checks of $5,000 and $10,000. I never asked them for money. All I said is, would you like to come play dodgeball with some kids who need a father figure in their life? They'd say, how much do you want? And I would say, oh, no, no, no I'm, not, I'm sincerely not asking for money. I just want you to come. I just need volunteers. And they say, let me hang on a second. And they would hand me a check. Why? Time was valuable to them. $10,000 was nothing to them. To me, I worked hard for my money. I'll give you my time, but I'm keeping my money. It's not an exchange rate. That's not how the kingdom of God operates. Sometimes it's that thing that's telling us uh, what we actually desire is what we won't give up. That's why Jesus continually, that's why the Word of God continually is pointing back at your money. Again, it has always, for the history of government, been easy to track where you're spending your money. If you're not sure, there's a lot of people and apps that can tell you. So what is it that you value? What is it, when you come to this, the gospel is always about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. What is the humility rate that you are willing to go to to have more money to give to God? What is it that you're willing to sacrifice in order to give to the kingdom of heaven? We normally figure that out after we have asked the question, am I comfortable here? What are we truly worshiping? Have you ever asked God, what do you want me to do with my resources? And start there. God, what do you want me to do with my resources? And start with the word of God and start in time of prayer and talking to him. Or is it normally, let me figure out how I'm going to make ends meet this month and then we'll figure out if we can give to God. So here are the same take-home questions that we had for you last week. These are the same questions we want you to discuss in community group and, and with your spouse and with your households, with a trusted friend. Number one, what are you hearing from God? What are you hearing from God? And like I said last week, maybe you need to remove the what and just ask yourself, are you hearing from God? Have you been able to, after last week, or maybe have you been able to figure out how much time how valuable your time is and how valuable time with God is and adjusted your schedule accordingly? And in that time, what are you hearing from God and in time in his word and hearing from his spirit and hearing and talking to him in prayer? What are you hearing from God? Number two, how are you being challenged? How are you being challenged in this? When you sit down with the word of God and we sit down with the value that we should have on the kingdom of God and we say, God, Am I giving enough? Please let me know if God says, yep, you did it. Because I want that number. I want that percentage. So how are you being challenged in this way? And then number three, what needs to happen for you to obey? 
What in your life needs to change? What in your life needs to happen for you to obey in this area of finding out what value you put on the kingdom of God is? What are you hearing from God? How are you being challenged? And what needs to happen for you to obey? And that last question, sometimes it's as simple as saying, what do you need to say no to? What are the things in your life that you can afford to say yes to, but when being challenged in this way, they actually need to be no's? So what I'm gonna do now is I'm just gonna take a moment right where you are, or two. I'm gonna have you talk to God. And then a couple moments I, in moments I will close this in prayer. So just right where you are, talk to God. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that it brings us. We thank you for who you are and how powerful you are. We thank you that you loved us so much that you gave your son for us. Lord, we thank you that Jesus shed his blood for us that we can be covered in it when we call out to him. We thank you that Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose again, defeating sin and death, and now we can have this new life in you. Lord, we thank you for the countless examples that you give us of what the kingdom of heaven is like. We thank you that we can experience this grace and this mercy that you've continually showed us every day. Lord, I pray that we would be able to see and hear from you what it is that you want us to be willing to give back. Lord, you know, these have been uh, very challenging passages, been very challenging questions. But Lord, we know that it isn't just you commanding us what to do and then waiting, but Lord, you have given us your word, you have given us your spirit, you have given us grace on top of grace already given. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the God of Comfort. Lord, help us to run to you when, when looking for those things. Lord, help us to be passionate. Help us to desire you above all else. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. 